Hi, Nicholas Vince here. Today's guest on the Chattering Hour is Caroline Munro. We talk about her leaving a convent school to become a model at the age of 16, working on the original Casino Royale with David Niven as a guard. Working on such films as The Spy Who Loved Me, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, and much, much more. Up next on The Chattering Hour, Caroline Munro. And we're back with Caroline Munro. As I mentioned, she won a Face of the Year competition in 1966. And at the age of 16, she went off to become a model for Vogue magazine and was later well known for her Navy rum adverts. All of those led to parts in such films as The Spy Who Loved Me, the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter, and many more. Let's get to it. Caroline, thank you very much indeed for joining me today. Oh, very nice to see you. Lovely to see you. <laughs> thank you. So I'd like to take you right back to the very beginning, if I may, and that is born in Windsor in Berkshire, Yes. What was your, what was an average day like for you as a child? What were you into as a child? Well, the earliest memory, I was born, yes, I was born in Windsor and we lived in Ivor Bucks, which was um, very near Pinewood Studios. Oh. Not, not that I knew it at the time because I was only, you know, a baby. And then three when we left and then we moved to Richmond um, oh. where I first started. Um, I was not very good at school I have I have quite severe dyslexia so that is quite a challenge for me um you know it's quite it's quite a tricky one really but um so school I love games at school you know when I was little I went to kindergarten in Richmond on Richmond Hill and then I transferred to little primary school on Richmond Hill so I had a a lovely um growing up there because we had the park and I loved at school the the games. We'd go and play rounders in Richmond Park, which was fabulous. It was like our great big garden. We actually lived on Richmond Hill, which was lovely. And my wow. dad used to travel into the city every day. He was a, he was a solicitor, and he used to mm. travel up every day. So right. yes, the the actual you know childhood, apart from school, because it was challenging. And at that time, people didn't recognise dyslexia. Mm-hmm. You know, you were you were just, which is so sad because you're kind of classified as slow which is such a sad thing to 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 be sort of labeled as a child because mm. you know you're not I could remember things I could remember poetry and stuff from quite a young age so I could remember things and I I knew I wasn't stupid it's just that I struggled to read you know and write yeah. spell. Mm. yeah I got I have friends with dyslexia and you know the the stories they tell but also the way that they can overcome it now and the different yes. strategies for overcoming it. Um, yes, you cheat. You can cheat insofar as with writing. I remember as a young child, I could do my name, of course, but then writing, you, you, you learn a certain writing that people think, oh, that's actually kind of clever, but I'm not quite sure what it says, but obviously it must be correct. So you cheat by that, that sort of way and by remembering. Ah, uh, oh, fast. Thing. <laughs> right, right. Fascinating. So did you watch many films growing up? I loved films. And my mum used to take me when we lived on Richmond Hill. And very unsuitably, she used to take me down, which was, I can't even remember what it's called. I think it's the Odeon now, just down Richmond Hill, the other way from the park. So you come into the little town. And um, she used to take me to the um, cinema there. And I remember... Three films that really stand out for me, apart from Bambi, which I loved. Actually, four films. Um, she took me to see Carve Her Name with Pride, and I was about eight. 
But in those days, I, you know, you could kind of get in. So calm her, carve her name with pride, which was a fantastic black and white film about Violetta Sabo, Sabo. Yes, yes. Yes, you know about the, the, the. Yes, it was with the yeah Virginia McKenna. It was a yes. wonderful black and white film, and that stayed with me for a long time. She also took me to see, and I fell in love with um, uh, Kurt Douglas, The Vikings, which again was quite a strong film to see um, at that age. So we went quite regularly because my mum loved cinema. And then uh, the other one I remember, but I was a bit, I was a little bit, it was Attila the Hun. <laughs> but not really very suitable, was it? Not for a little child. So I, I can't remember if I had nightmares about that one. Um, and then, of course, Bambi. But my poor dad on, on <laughs> this is the one I do remember. My poor dad had to, um, I fell in love with Davy Crockett, Fess Parker. He was my love. Him and Richard Green were, were my love, you know, Robin Hood. So anyway, my poor dad took me to see um, uh, Davy Crockett. So I went to see Davy Crockett. And I loved it. I absolutely fell in love with Fess Parker, David Crockett. And the next time I said, can we go again? Yes, he said, we'll go again, because my dad rather liked it. So we went again. We went a total of six times to see it. My poor father, I think he fell asleep on one of them. But what he did, which was so sweet, he got me, um, it was a little plastic hat. It was like the hat he wore with a little funny piece of raggedy not real fur, it was like a little bit of carpet thing with the tail at the back. So I was, you know, that was it. Davy, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. And and I remember years later at a convention actually in the States, um, somebody read that I liked Davy Crockett and they'd actually got me uh, an autograph of Fess Parker. This was years ago, maybe early, late 80s, I think, and and it was it was written to me, and I thought, what a beautiful gesture! That was so sweet. Wow, wow, it's lovely. It's funny because I think if my memory isn't playing tricks on me, um, our last guest was Alice Krieger. And oh, lovely, great yeah, actress. Yes, beautiful. yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, her reaction to David Crockett was to demand to be let out within about twenty minutes in because she thought animals might be hurt in the film. Oh, that's <laughs> So I didn't even think. I mean, I was very, very young. But that's yeah. actually that's true. Yeah. I'm sure they weren't. Though you no. can assure her. I'm sure they were not harmed. No. Always that notice comes up at yes. the end of the film. Yes, so but I, I think within the story, she thought that yeah. The, Isn't the, that why did she rather like him too? Did she like David Crockett? Well, as I say, she only watched about twenty minutes of the film so because she know. demanded her brothers take her out of take the cinema. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because of the animal. That's actually lovely. Oh, yeah. that's a very sweet. No, I'm afraid I didn't, but I, I love animals. Oh, my goodness. Yes, but I, I didn't have that lovely thought that she did. <laughs> oh. well, you went on to, you kind of moved after Richmond, you moved south to what, Rottingdean area? My goodness, you have really done your research. It's kind of sneaky. And I love the way you didn't say the year I was born, but I think everybody knows it. But, I, you know, what can I do? Nothing. <laughs> but, yes, I did. I moved, yes, we did Rottingdean, which was um, it was just outside uh, Brighton, actually about nine miles out of Brighton. Yeah. But a yeah. really pretty little old um, uh, Tudor village with a duck pond and a, and a, um, a lovely little pub there with the duck pond. And, and Roddy R. Kipling's house was on the green. So I grew up just on Dean Court Road, which was where all these little lovely Tudor houses were oh, near the church. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I went to the went to the local convent there. <laughs> no. something else, really. Golly. What, what was it, so? What was it like being at a convent school then? Um, strict. It was very strict, and and I th- I think my parents that there was two schools in the village, and we lived sort of up on the up on the downs, a little bit away from the village, but a walk through. If you walk through the cow fields and through the horses, you could get to the school quite easily. Um, I think they thought it was the maybe the better school for me because they did languages, and my dad 
um, was quite keen on languages and I like languages. You know, I do. I French and we took French. I only took French for a year there, but I really, um, I enjoyed it. French and uh, uh, Spanish and uh, we took Latin, obviously being a, a convent. But the whole experience, I I wasn't very happy there because, because it was strict. And again, it was, that was my first um, it, it, no, it wasn't. It was my second uh, realization that the dyslexia was really, you know, tough on me. It was hard. Mm. Again, they didn't seem to. I didn't have the extra lessons and the things right. that maybe I needed. Maybe a bit more one to one. But um, so I struggled. Really, I struggled. I loved art, so I did art. I only took. Um, I only took two. Uh, what were the equivalent? O levels, I suppose they were. Uh, didn't we? Didn't have the eleven plus there, but I took French and art. Um, so I did not too bad in those two, uh, but but certainly not English or anything. Yeah, I, nothing else really. Right. I didn't do it. No. Right. What? So now from convent school, and oh. then at sixteen, you're announced as the face of nineteen <laughs> something or other, I'm and <laughs> yes, oh. we're not doing dates. Um, how did that it's come funny, about? Because that's a really weirdy one because when I left school and the school closed down that there weren't that many pupils and the school eventually closed down and I suppose I was just coming up for 16 and the school closed down and I was delighted I thought wow this is fantastic but so with my little art thing the little O level I got um I I started doing at Brighton Art School which was actually very good I started doing Saturday mornings there so I did the Saturday mornings, you know, we did a life class. I remember doing my first, and I'm a convent girl, so we did the first life class. And I thought, wow, I'm actually sitting watching a naked man trying to draw. You know, and I thought, okay, that's fine. Um, I did my best. <laughs> Not very good. So I did, I did that, and I did it for quite a little while. And there was a chap there. Um, golly, I wish I could remember his name so long ago, so a hundred years ago, but he was a very, he was one of the students, but he was a more mature student and he was taking photography. And he said, he, he, he said to me, he said, would you mind if I took some pictures? And I said, well, I think that's all right. So the range with my mum and dad, and we took pictures in Preston Park, which had Preston Park Manor, which was just outside Brighton. And I did my first little pictures there. Very, it was for him. You know, I did it for him because he was a nice man. And, um, you know, we just did very, very sweet pictures, very nice black and white pictures. I think I still have a few today. They're just just in, I think I was had bare feet and little trousers and little jumper and very simple. Nice pictures, pretty pictures. Um, so we did those. And he, he liked and a few headshots. And he phoned my mom after and he said, um, he said, would it be all right if, if I sent one of the pictures off? They're having a, a competition in the evening news for uh, photography and also the face of the year and it was to do with David Bailey so he asked my mum and said I'm sure that's fine no she didn't give it another thought we didn't even think about it and um, lo and behold they got back I suppose about a month or so later and um, and they said oh would she like to go to London you you know you both come up to London so I went with my mum and we met with uh, Patrick Hunt, who was David Bailey's assistant at the time. And um, so basically, basically the, the picture, his lovely picture, won, won the competition. And I went, and that was the start, my first foray into starting modelling, which was, I, I got taken up by a, an agent called Lucy Clayton, which was, was still, or used to be in Bond Street. And you know a bit, you <laughs> I know the yeah. name, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Did you uh-huh. immediately start modelling? It was uh, actually it was quite quickly. I, it was odd. Um, I was, um, yeah, I was there for about a month or so with Lucy Clayton, and 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 we were taught. I remember it was sort of a young ladies thing. We were taught to get in and out of sports cars gracefully with your because it it was the age of the miniskirt, wasn't it? So we had to. It was a certain way one had to do it in a very discreet way. So we did that in a practice car and, and all the you know, would-be models did that. So I remember doing that and walking with a book on your head, all of which, you know, 
And obviously it went in one ear and out the other. But I had a lovely time then. Yes, I, I started, um, there was a, a wonderful photographer called um, Brian Duffy, who was fantastic in the 60s. Again, you had the you had Terry Donovan, you had you had Bailey, Terry Donovan, uh, Terry O'Neill, um, uh, see, oh, lovely, yeah, Terry Donovan, uh, Duffy. You know, you had a you had about a big five, main big five, and um, so Duffy came along, and he he said, oh, he said, I think she'd be just right for for American Vogue. So the first thing I was flown to Malta with a lovely model called Marin Grave who was Swedish and she was so beautiful and she seemed so much older, but she was 23 and I was just pipping 17. Um, so I was very young and we flew to Malta and we did remember, I thought, well, this is odd. We were lying in these lovely sweaters, but we were lying in the sea with these beautiful sweaters and this lovely male model, French male model um, with us just advertising, um, Got was it Cortel? It was one of the big again, a big um, uh, knitwear, and that's what we were doing. We were lying in the water. I thought, what a waste! These lovely jumpers being pulled about in the water. But anyway, yeah. So it was that was for American Vogue. Yeah, right, like right. That. So that was one of my first ones. <laughs> <laughs> so how did you make the transition from modelling into acting? Um. I think it was a gradual thing, really. I think it was quite a gradual thing. It was, um, again, you'd get a lot of the casting people coming round, and I, I was among one among one of the ones that came along for the. I was asked to come along, and they were casting for guard girls in Casino Royale, the original Casino Royale, the '67 one, I think. I yeah. think it was David Niven as um, James Bond. Yeah. Yes, Jay, that's yeah. it. Woody Allen, yeah. Orson Welles. Oh, you had a fantastic, oh, you, you name it, every big star at the time was in that film. And so I was one of the extras. I played a guard girl in that. So they chose me to, to do that. And my director was Val Guest. There was five directors, six directors. I'm not sure on that film. Uh, and we had such a lovely time. I, I was there with all the all the girls. and And I remember... I do remember this. I remember they were shooting the Dirty Dozen at the time with these, you know, these be very macho. There was, who was it? It was lovely, Charles Bronson. And all of them would just, used to come into the canteen. and But they were still setting up sh- shots to do for Casino Royale. And I said to Val Guest, I said, well, would you mind if I just sit here on the side and, you know, kind of watch what you're doing? And the girl said, come on, we're going to go and see them at the Dirty Dozen, you know, see all the lovely men. I said, no, no, I just want to sit here. So I asked him if I could just sit and watch what was going on. And I did. I got to watch Woody Allen work. And, you know, I, I, I actually did do that. And I thought, this is this is rather good. I rather liked it. Um, so, yeah, and I, I was very young. But young but sponge-like. <laughs> I a lot, if that makes sense. <laughs> so I was trying to work trying to work out the timeline so you've done the the guards and then your photograph is used as the wife of the abominable dr fives i don't remember what year was that something 70 was it? 71 yes the photograph was used yes and i got to i can't really say i worked with him but i did work with him with the amazing vincent price the wonderful wonderful vincent price Sadly, no dialogue scenes, but I, I did get to lie alongside him in the coffin, which was wonderful. <laughs> and he was, and again, I, I, I just asked the director, Robert Foust, if I could just sit and watch him work because he was, Vince, it was just, um, just kind of mesmeric to watch, you know, on set. He was so, but he, he was extraordinary as, as five, but he was also extraordinary as a person. He was so kind, so sweet. And and so clever, and a fabulous cook to boot. He was an amazing chef. He used to um, he used to come into the makeup room at about seven o'clock when I was being made up white. You know, obviously I was dead, so I was, had to be a bit white. Um, and uh, he used to bring this lovely food in, pate and toast for the makeup girls, and you know, it was lovely. So we we enjoyed that. He's a lovely, lovely man, and I'm. Um, pretty good friends with Victoria, his daughter. I'm sure you know Victoria, yeah. don't you? 
She'd be a great guest. Has she done it? She yeah. hasn't. She hasn't. And she'd and, uh, be wonderful. I, I agree. Agree entirely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She'd be amazing. Yeah. I know. I know. My producer Chris Chris Rowe has yeah. got a number of people lined up, but what he tends to only drip feed me as as people become available, you know, between yes. jobs and so on. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm I'm really hope I can chat with because yeah. I'm a huge huge Vincent Price fan oh um, she I mean what her knowledge of I mean and I've heard her talk she was meant to be coming over here in November and we were going to do something up in together because of Covid obviously mm. it was, um, was it November no it was earlier October I think but it obviously had to be cancelled because of flights and Covid and everything yeah like because so things. She, they've just published a book of Vincent Price recipes kind of linked to his films so the idea is you watch mask of the red death and have a particular meal with it or you know theater of blood or and and so so, yeah so people went to write in about recipes weren't where some of the actors were because we did a a a, a thingy yeah i think i was but yes yeah that didn't get to do it yes yes so what was your first proper i say proper Yes. With dialogue, with as an actor. Dialogue. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Well, actually, before that, uh, before in 19, I think it was 68 still, mm-hmm. I got to do a Western, which was oh, called yes. A Talent for Loving, um, or Gun Crazy. The American changed it to Gun Crazy. And that was an amazing cast. As my father, there was Richard Widmark, who my dad was pretty much in awe of. So we um, had Richard Widmark, you had Topol, um, who taught me to ride for the film, and um, uh, Derek Nimmo, a- English actor, Derek Nimmo, uh, oh. wonderful Derek Nimmo, who played my love interest in it. Um, Jean-Vierre Page, a French, French, wonderful French actress. We had, an, and Richard Quine was the director. who directed um, Kim Novak in Bell, Book and Candle. So he, 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 he was... He was really old school Hollywood. So I, I, it was just, it was just wonderful to be around these incredible sets. It was all shot in Madrid, in and around Madrid. And you had these wonderful studios, Sevilla studios over there and, and beautiful sets. Be- must've spent so much money. It was a Paramount production. Right. Um, so it was just, so that was one of my first speaking and whistling. I had to whistle Handel's water music in it. <laughs> Not an easy feat. No. I did. I don't ask me to do it now, but I, I can I know the tune, but my the mouth is dry. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, did you So in that transition from modeling to now you've talked about, you know, observing people on sets and um, so on. Did you do any formal training as an actor? Not. I mean I, I I did a little bit, but not as much as maybe I could have done, really. And I always say, well, <laughs> good or bad, the, the, the greatest thing for me was to learn on set, good or bad, you know, do, do, to do the best you could and to learn from watching other people and the directors um, and trying to be as truthful as you, could, you can be. So that, which is sometimes really hard, it's tapping into the, I, I think I first got my first true tap in with when I worked with Christopher Lee in Dracula AD, you know, I, I absolutely, I don't know if the word sounds a bit pretentious, but channeled, you know, I could actually channel getting into the, my little character. I, I, I didn't have a big part, but what I did, I felt I was her. So it was, it was a sort of a, a, a light bulb moment for me in a way, because I thought, hmm, actually, I really like this. And I kind of understand it more. I mean, the more you do, the more you, even though you're scared, the more you can kind of click into it and the more you understand and the more you can reach in and pull out. <clears throat> so for me, that's that, you know, it was, it, it's all been a learning curve. But no, I, I haven't had any formal training. I think if I was to have done stage, I, I would have had to have done. Absolutely. Because it's a different animal, I think. You know, you watch these wonderful um, stage actors. And then sometimes it doesn't quite translate to films, but other times, say like a Judy Dench or 
you know, oh, Kenneth Branagh. It's just, they can just, it just works. You know, yeah. they can just do it. It, it yeah. just works. It, it translate. But sometimes it, it maybe doesn't work. Yeah. It's more stylized in a way for stage, well, I think. But, yeah, because, I mean, basically when you're doing film, the audience can be like, i.e. the camera can be three oh. feet away from you, mm-hmm. whereas on stage you've got an auditorium of maybe 500, 200, 300, you know, yeah. they're, they're 30 feet. And I remember when I used to do amateur dramatics as a kid, my, my, she was my English teacher. Um, she always said, unless the deaf old lady who's sitting on the back row can hear you, you haven't succeeded. I always oh. remember this, you know, that, Standing on the stage, you have to make your voice carry to to the very just got to carry, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And how do you get the carrying voice and the feeling as well? How 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 does one get that? Because you sound like you've done quite a lot of stage. I've done I've done some stage. I'm not. It's not. It's not anything I've done over the years. But from what I I haven't done any recently. But it's still that you nailed it when you said it's the truth. It's finding the truth. Yeah, it's, and I think you've got there's there's kind of two parts of it. Is my experience is during rehearsal because of course you get a lot more rehearsal with theatre yes. generally. You That's get a lot. when you explore it and you yes you really you know dig deep as to dig find deep. out what's yes. going on, and then by the time you come to perform it then it's a slightly more mechanical. Yes, it's ingrained. You've practiced it. And and the truth is still there because without the truth, then it's just never going to work. But yeah, so I think it's, it's, as you described it, it's a technique. You know, it's vocal projection, he says, having, fighting off a cold and got chesty cough in the voice. (laughs) I know, I, yeah, yeah, I, the moment you mentioned that, I thought that, I knew there was something I meant to do. Yeah. Yeah. So you've got, you'd mentioned Dracula, um, Dracula AD 1972. Uh, You're working with Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, Christopher Neem. It's um, me, who I worked with recently, well, not so long ago again. Yeah. Yes, I met, yes, are you, yeah. <laughs> I forgot to come back to that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. What was the film you did with him recently? Called The House of the Gorgon. House we of Gorgon. Actually, it was now three years ago, so it was a while ago now. Yeah, they had just before. Fresh. <laughs> it was lovely because I got, I got to work with my lovely Martine Beswick. I got to work with Veronica Carlson and Christopher and my daughter, Georgina. Georgina Dugdale, that's my daughter. She was the lead in that. And we were, Martine and I played these awful sisters, <laughs> which ah. was very fun. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I mean, I'd like to, I, we're going to flip around in terms of, of okay. timeline, but as we're talking about your daughter, I, I wondered what advice you gave to your daughter when she said, Mummy, I want to be an actress. I think it was a gradual thing, really, because she she's very, um, they're both very artistic. Both my girls, Georgina and Iona, they're really very, very artistic. And so they both went to, um, Georgina went to um, Chelsea School of Arts, and then she went to the London College of Fashion. Um, she got into St Andrews, but she chose not to. She wanted to do the fashion or design side. So basically styling, designing, and she's really good at that. She's the older, my older daughter. The younger one, Iona, um, is, is a natural-born artist. She's a fantastic painter, drawer. She can do anything. But her, her thing is singing. She has a beautiful voice. So she's writing at the moment, and, you know, she's, she's preparing songs and has got a nice uh, producer she's working with. So, so they both... Um, followed that route uh, but Georgina I think she she did a year at a place called Cats which I, in Cambridge which is an affiliate of RADA so she did one year there training she did she did proper training unlike like me <laughs> so she did she did a year of that and and she liked it you know she really liked it and then she did the national youth and she did all these things so and she's done a few you know smaller uh, roles in in new indie films which is was good, and and she's very good. You know, she's right. very good. They're both very creative, and they're both they're both very grounded. You know, they're just they're just lovely women, strong, 
and 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 just strong, sensitive, and beautiful people. Right. I mean, they're my daughters, obviously, but but, <laughs> but they are amazing. They really are. Right. I'm never amazed. You know, never ceased being amazed by them. Right. Two right. pillars. <laughs> so, yeah. was there any piece of wisdom once you with her? Yeah, that you that you could say, you know, this is what I've learned from acting yeah. over the years. I mean, well, I did say, well, it's good to have another iron in your fire, you know, to fall back on. I did, I did say that, but um, she. She, she does want to still do it. She wants to pursue it. It's hard to find, at the moment, it's hard to find an agent mm. and things. So, so she's searching for somebody that can kind of believe in her and like she's got a showreel to, to right. see, what she, see what she does. Right. Um, you know, it's kind of always being true to yourself, really. And she's taught me a lot because she studied, you see, and she was showing me the method methodology methodology or whatever it's called of of how to approach a script I thought oh have I thought of that um but she, so she was teaching me so it's a it's a it's an interesting sort of twist that she 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 knows her stuff you know she ah, really does ah. um, so but advice yeah just be true to yourself don't do anything you really don't want to do you know if it goes against the grain don't do it and and again, try to be try to find the truth in it. You know, try, but it takes a long time. For me, it took a long time. Maybe because I didn't have a, uh, you know, a thing I could switch. Maybe maybe that's what they teach you at drama school to switch on and find the truth quite quickly. I had to really dig deep to find it for me, um, because if I look at a lot of the earlier things, yes, I was. I was playing the part, but sometimes I know that I wasn't there. You know, I didn't, I wasn't there until I did the Dracula. I knew I was there. Right. Yeah, it's a revelation. I don't know how I found it, but she just came and I thought, yes. So, so, and that hasn't, it's lovely when that happens, when you know it's a kind of a a meeting and you think, oh yeah, I know, that's it. I know, I know. But, but other times it's, you know, it's hard to find sometimes. Right. But again, maybe that's technique, maybe. And I, I watch a lot of actors now, and, and Georgina listens to a lot of the acting tapes. I watched Carrie Mulligan, actually. I had a wonderful thing about her last um, night on the television, and I was watching it, and, and, and she, she, she too, she did go to drama school eventually, I think, but um, she, she found it very hard to, she said, I can't believe that they actually like what I'm doing, she said. She was her for her uh, what she was doing. She said, "I can't believe." It. And then she started to get a lot of work, and she still didn't believe it herself. But she's so good. Again, she finds she you can know that she does a lot of research and and really again finds the truth in in that. And then you bring yourself. Obviously, you've got to bring yourself to it. And then because everybody would look at a script differently and, and bring something of their own to it. I think. But, yeah. You- Yes, because you remind me, we did a um, an exercise when I was at drama school where we were split into a group and there are about 20 of us in the class at least. We were working in pairs and it was just a couple of pages of a Neil Simon uh, play. Yeah. And when we, everyone went away and then a week later we all came back and shared the scene. And it's like, you think this is like 10 different plays. Yes, because completely. different approaches. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The completely different things. So yeah. you you found your your, your feet kind of in uh, Dracula AD nineteen seventy two. Yeah. And then one of the next thing, or one of the uh, things you did uh, about a year or so later was the Golden Voyage of Sinbad, um, the Ray Harryhausen movie. What yes, was that? I'm, oh, so different. I mean. Because the Hammer films were quite, um, this had, a, I think, a bit of a more more budget. They still weren't nothing like today. I mean, nothing like, I mean, the Hammer budgets were small. It was a four-week shoot. So you didn't get a lot of rehearsal time. You had to get it right, you know, as right as you could do. It was pretty, pretty, it was a tight ship, but also it was a family. So it was a great atmosphere. With Sinbad, I was lucky enough to, to go to Spain we shot in Mallorca and we shot in uh, Madrid. So we went to, and I, that was about 
eight-week shoot. So it was a long shoot. It felt quite luxurious, even though we were working a lot of times when we were in Mallorca. We worked in the caves. So we were we had to wait till the tourists went in the day. It, it, the tourists would go about six o'clock and then the cameras would roll in and we'd get ready and the Winnebago thingies and we'd go in and we'd night shoot. So we night shot in the caves for, I don't know, it seemed like endless. We, we did that. So um, that was an extraordinary experience. And working with Ray, um, who became such a good friend. He, he, he was just a lovely man, um, an amazing man. To, to watch work. Gordon Hessler was our dialogue director um, who, d- who directed the dialogue scenes. And then Ray would step in and um, direct the, not special, what do you call it, the dynamation scenes. Mm-hmm. When, when you put, when you have the creatures, the beautiful creatures, amazing creatures. But what he would do, which I loved, would show us, because he was a fantastic artist, he would show us all the, you know, he'd show us this beautiful artwork that he'd drawn. And he said, now, this is what you're going to see, but you're going to see it and it's going to be enormous. So you're going to see this and it's going to be coming to life at you. So I had that, you know, I, I, I thought, okay. So with me, I had the centaur in the particular, one of the particular scenes I had to do. Uh, we had the centaur and we had Carly, the Six-armed, eight-armed, six-armed goddess. Yeah. We had her in the caves with Tom Baker, with wonderful Tom Baker. Um, John Philip Law was our Sinbad. But but uh, he, he, I think Ray, I've always have done, I've called him the godfather of special effects because he, along with, obviously, Willis O'Brien, he learnt from when he was a boy. He watched Willis O'Brien do the um, King Kong, original King Kong. And then uh, he took it and started doing it literally by himself one man band Ray was one man band um and he took it to such extraordinary levels and I mean his creatures you could kind of they they had so much character about them although they had they did even though I mean obviously it's like chalk and cheese uh CGI which is amazing not can't take it away it's extraordinary and it's believable and uh, um but these, but the characters that Ray would bring to life were so wonderful and menacing, and you know, and and funny, and it, it, they, he just brought such a beautiful scene to life. He, he really did. I just loved watching him work again. Hmm. But then we didn't see the work until we saw the finished film because we were doing all the action with nothing there. You know, it was just we were just imagining these creatures about us and what we were fighting against. And it was just an um, extraordinary experience, really. It was. Loved working with him. I'm still really good friends with his daughter, Vanessa. Ah. Really good friends. Yeah. He has his foundation, the Ray and Diana Foundation. Yeah. They do such good stuff. They do. Have you had a chance to go and see the exhibition up no. in Edinburgh? Edinburgh. No. Have you seen it? Yes, I, I, when did you see it? A couple of months ago, um, I was up there with, with family, and yeah. it is. I'm just trying to hold back the because I couldn't believe it because I for me it was Bubo the owl. Um, yes, I, I walked into a gallery and it was just there the 12 inch maquette, yes. yes, animatronic rather than maquette, and yes. it was just oh, like wow. oh. Oh, in fact, I literally said, oh, wow, as I walked in the room. Because it's just like, I think you really did form, as a member of the audience, form an emotional attachment or reaction to these creatures. Yes, yes, you did. Yeah. You did. I mean, the expressions that they do, and you kind of got to your own, you you loved them, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. And the homunculus. We had the naughty homunculus in our one. The golden voyage, the little, you know, could know know it all and do it all. He was was the spy for Kura, which was Tom Baker. He was his spy. But it was just unbelievable. You got to see it. No, I've yet to see it because we were meant to go up for the opening of it. But what we did, we actually did a live Zoomy thing a couple of weeks ago for because it's being extended now till February, I think. Yes. So we're planning to go up then. Yeah. Oh, if you have. Oh, you've got it. It's just because it really does start at the very beginning. So anybody out there who's in Edinburgh and is thinking about going, just go, go. because yes. 
It's it's oh, absolutely exciting. extraordinary. Yeah. No, I do intend to go, definitely. Good, yeah. good. Now, complete. then you went back to work with a horror, uh, Hammer Horror on Captain Kromanos Vampire yeah. Hunter. Yes, yeah. What was That's that experience like? It was, oh, it's actually, I think that, that is one of my favourite roles. I really liked that role. I liked her. She was such a free spirit, Carla. Carla, mm. who danced on a Sunday. Yes. Um, I just, yes, naughty girl. <laughs> and then she got pilloried for it. Yeah. Eggs and tomatoes. It, it, it was such um, a lovely film to make. Again, it was sort of family. You had Brian Clements, who who um, who was our director and writer, fantastic writer. He also wrote the screenplay for Simba, and he oh. he heavily lobbed for me, lobbed or lobbied for me to to be seen for Mariana in in Simba. And they said, no, no, we, I think we want Rackle Wells. You want a big name. We don't know this person. But he, he, he took them, Ray and uh, Charlie Schneer, Ray's producer, to see some of the um, uh, rushes. Or, yeah, what do you call them? Dailies. Yeah, remember. dailies. Yeah. Yeah, dailies, rushes um, of uh, the stuff that we'd shot in, in uh, Cronus. And then, then I went to meet them. And they offered me the part of Mariana, which was lovely. Um, oh. So yeah, um, so Brian was very instrumental in me getting that. I I reckon, but right. he was just fantastic to work with. Such a good director, and such a different film uh, of its time. And I think at the time, I think at the time people didn't get it because it was it was for Hammer, but it wasn't the usual Hammer, not the usual Hammer format. It wasn't. Um, uh, it wasn't um, particularly gory. It didn't have a lot of heaving bosoms and things. You know, it just didn't. It didn't have all the hammer ingredients, hammer being tried and true. So this one, I think, was a it, – it struck me as it's quite esoteric. So it was quite kind of, you know, if, you, if you've ever seen the film, it's a beautifully crafted film and mostly shot outside. So there's a lot of location stuff, woods and, and – uh, is it Black something Park, Black Stock Park? Possibly not sure. Yeah, outside. It, it just a lot of it was outside, so it was kind of very naturalistic and um, loved the way it was shot. I, I'm trying to remember his name. It's a wonderful DP. I don't remember. I mean, know him so well. But um, I will remember it at the end. Um, it was lovely. It was a lovely film to do, and I loved playing with – I worked with um, – uh, John Cater, wonderful John Cater, and um, and Horst Janssen, who played very yeah. dashing Cronus. And they did fantastic, you know, sword fighting, all done before your eyes, Wanda Ventham. I was going to say Wanda Ventham. Yeah, Benedict's <laughs> mama. So, uh, you know, it's it, so a fantastic um, cast, a really good cast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, it's very interesting because, of course, it's, the, just at the very beginning, when you you, know, you see the va- the victim of the vampire, she's not just drained of blood; she's drained of her youth. Youth—that was and the it, difference. Yeah, That's, that was the twist, wasn't it? Yeah, which was such a clever twist. But maybe people didn't, you know, the critics maybe didn't get it. But yeah. it since gained legs, and people really like it because yeah. it's a beautiful piece of work. I believe Quentin Tarantino really enjoyed that film. I believe so. Ah. I heard so. One of ah. That makes yeah makes sense because again beautifully shot as well and edited and and the storytelling and as yes. you say it's a great entrance for a character being in the stocks in the stocks literally yeah. and the crew they said well should we put the should we paint it on I said no and, the, and the, one of the crew said no let's throw the eggs at her and the tomatoes let's throw them so so that, that's what they did so they did and it's like yes. Great for my hair. My hair felt lovely, lovely condition after the eggs in it. Yeah, bit smelly, but very nice. <laughs> nice condition. <laughs> no, that was it. Was an interesting entrance. Yeah. Um, what what um, you went on to next was the spy who loved me. Um, what was it like being a Bond girl? Well, it was um, golly. I felt very honoured to be asked to. to to um, be a bonger. Uh, 
again, it has such an extraordinary legacy, a bit like Hammer, English films, you know, English big legacy films, um, and obviously Bond. It's an amazing franchise. And um, at my time, Cubby, Cubby Broccoli was the, was the producer um, who was wonderful. And Barbara, Barbara and Michael Wilson are going on to do an amazing job. Cubby would be so proud of them. He would be so proud of what they're doing now. Uh, again, it was extraordinary to be part of that. Very different from Hammer because it was a huge production at the time in, compared to tiny Hammer productions and even Sinbad, which was a bit bigger. And then, um, so uh, it, it was a great honour to be, even though it was a small part, it was a nice part. I, I really enjoyed her. I had fun with her. I, thought, I think she was quite quite spicy. You know, right. I, I like that part. And, and, and Roger was just a dream to work with. He was so sweet and he's just... He was just so um, uh, gentle and funny and uh, witty, you know, witty and professional. It all kind of rolled up to one, but he was also very caring that you had your moment, you know, for so when it was your point of view for the camera, he, he would be there and he'd be reading the lines where maybe a, a big star like him, and he didn't have to be, could be the continuity reading your lines for you, but he was there, you know, he was there, he was present and there and, you know, just I admired him so much, and he was such a gentleman, lovely yeah. man, yeah. Yeah. delightful. <laughs> I always, I, it's a real mark of a gentleman and a fellow actress if they will do that for you, just yes. stand behind the camera, because yeah. it really aids the performance rather than just somebody giving you lines. You need, yes, yeah, so rather than the script lady just yeah. reading it off a page. Yeah, yeah, no, it is, and you've, you've got, you know, yes, it is. It's totally that. It's totally that. Because yeah. they can give you so much back, and he did, you know, he did, yeah. which which makes it lovely. What um, another film you did um, back in nineteen eighty was Star Crash with Christopher yeah, Plummer. <laughs> yeah, Christopher Plummer. I mean, Christopher Plummer. He came in literally, Luigi, uh, Louis Coates, Luigi, Luigi Cosi, my dear dear Luigi, um, flew him in to um, to just play the emperor he'd agreed to play the emperor because uh, we had uh david hasselhoff was the you know our, our lovely uh, man our, our lovely and marjo gortner so it was an interesting cast a real mix and he came in for one day to shoot his one scene and i remember luigi saying he said oh he said this is so good galilina he said now we shoot um we shoot sound i, I said luigi what do you mean we shoot sound he said we shoot direct sound I said, what have we been doing for the last two months? So so, so we had to go in and it, we weren't, it, they weren't picking up this. The, it was specially done for Christopher, this particular scene, because we shot in Italy. It was in Cinecita, which was amazing. But um, so for, for Christopher, he, he got the, he got the whole works, you know, proper sound. And because he wasn't going to do the, you know, after, or maybe not, it would be expensive to play him back and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I got to watch him work and that was amazing. <laughs> and he was so nice. What a lovely chap. We chatted away and he, he couldn't have been sweeter. And what an extraordinary actor, Christopher Plummer. It was I, I loved that film because it was it was kind of higgledy pickledy and very bizarre and 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 the characters and and David and the whole lot and we had wonderful locations. Um, they must have spent quite a lot of money on it. They must have done, I think, because we were there for months. I was actually flown back after Christmas to do some pickup shots, which was um, I had to do quite a lot of you know uh, kicking, sort of not kung fu, but yeah. Luigi decided, he said, I think, Caroline, you can do that. I said, well, I try my best. So we had a great stuntman, Fred. <laughs> he was, he was, um, he was Italian, but he was Fred. And he, he taught me a few moves. So, yeah, I loved that film. I, 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 again, I don't know how it did. It was picked up, I think, by, um, was it, did Roger Corman pick it up? Or somebody picked it up. Right. Maybe Roger Corman, I'm, I'm not sure. But I think it did well for somebody you know i think it did well in the states again it's gained legs because people think it's fun yeah it's quite campy you know yeah. it's campy and it's colorful 
and it's harmless. And and Luigi played played great homage to Star Wars and and uh, to Ray Harryhausen, who he loved. He loved. That's partly why he chose me for Stella because he knew I'd work with um, Ray, and he figured I could work, you know, do, work with nothing there, you know, do do the imagination stuff. <laughs> So um, I loved I loved Luigi. I went on to do another film with Luigi, right? Um, back in Italy. So yeah, lovely ah. chap. He's still working, I think. Yeah. Wow, I think he's still working. Yeah, wow. he always worked, never stopped. And he writes. He's a prolific writer, sci-fi writer, and right. clever, clever man, and a dear friend. Yeah. Uh, we um, before we move, we're coming to the end of our time together, and I do want to do the luggage in the crypt questions, I but. Have I rambled? I no, you rambled. haven't rambled at all. You've given no, beautiful sure. answers. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you mistake me. <laughs> Not at all. No, okay. <laughs> but I did want to kind of bring you up to date because you, we were yeah. talking earlier on about a couple of projects you've been working on recently, um, and properly recently. So you're doing something for Talking Pictures? Talking Pictures, which is, I don't think they can get it in the States because my stepdaughter, Tammy, can't can't seem to get it over there. But um, I think they're trying to maybe, it's Talking Pictures. Um, it's on Friday nights and it's called The Cellar Club. And it's all things hammer and all things um, horror, hammer, and beautiful, a lot of black and white films. And I hosted, I introduced the films, talk a bit about the producers and directors, and then um, and then they show the film, and then I pop back up again after the first film, uh, and then I introduce the next film, and then it goes. I think I have three pop ins and outs, and three films on a Friday night, and it ends at about two thirty in the morning. But it starts at nine o'clock. It's called the Cellar Club and Talking Pictures. Yeah, it's so, so- I know. I was asked by uh, the director producer Sarah Cronin. Um, if um, uh, if I would take, you know, if I'd be interested. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I've never done anything like this. It's quite a challenge, really. But uh, I, I've enjoyed it. I've really, really, I'm very thankful to her because it's been something really different for me. And I've learned a lot about Hammer and films. So it's interesting. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds fascinating to me because that's kind of how I got into horror films back in the ninth very early 1970s because they used yeah. to show them on friday nights later that's night. right yeah is that how you because you you're horror based aren't you yeah yeah really with yeah hellraiser or Clive, but oh my god they used to absolutely terrify me i thought oh i i remember trying to sit and watch was it nightbreed one of them? yes and yes. I, 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 I actually had, to, I couldn't watch it. I could not watch, you know, the extraordinary films, weren't they? Yeah. I know Doug pretty well. Doug oh, Bradley. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Has he been on your show? Not this one. I used to have another YouTube show, um, which I did a, a few years ago now. And um, a similar sort of theme, just chatting to yeah. people. So I have interviewed Doug on the show, as well, oh, on that yeah. show. But not yes, on this iteration, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, um, I will like I would like to um, wind up by asking you the luggage in the crypt questions because, as I mentioned earlier on, so basically mm. the idea is, what would you take into the afterlife with you? You're having the most humongous pyramid that you can imagine, so we can fit anything inside that you'd like. But what oh film gosh. would you like to take with you? Oh wow! Oh, film! My goodness. Um, I'd want something uplifting, I think. No, not I think. I would want something uplifting. I mean, there's so many films that have touched me so much. I mean, I I love a lot of the children's films. I like a lot of the rom-coms. I go from all sorts of... I love... Oh, Under the Tuscan Sun is one of my great favourites. I love Under the Tuscan Sun. Um, I don't know that one. Yeah, it's beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. It just takes you away. Um, I love, I, has it got to be a film? Can it be television? Because I love the Darrells. I would take the Darrells. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lifting. Yep. I love the Darrells. Um, I would take those. I love, I loved, I watch um, a lot of the, uh, I love Moana from the Disney, is Disney, is it Disney or Pixar? I love that. <laughs> Pixar, I, Pixar, I which is Disney. But... 
yes, I go, yeah. go from all sorts uh, and going way back. Um, I love the Crimson Pirate. You know, I can, my, my brain, my, my dyslexia shoots all over the place so I can touch on different things, really. But I, if I had a choice, I, mean, I can't really think of one that I would take, that I would watch and watch and watch. That's well. That's a, I, yes, and most people. It's an invidious question anyway yes. to ask people to choose just one. Yeah. That's a great lot of choice. I particularly like the Durrells. Um, yeah. yeah, fun books. And, yes, um, the Durrells, and and anything we're watching like like now, the Ted Lasso and the Mrs. Maisel. I mean, the television oh, yes. because we've been so locked down. My daughter can put on all sorts of. I, I mean, I love the diversity and the Witcher and and, and you know amazing things on mm. at the moment, just that take you away. Yeah. I love that. I love to be transported. Yeah. yeah. What about a book? Book dyslexia. Mm. I have not read a lot of stuff. I'm trying to think what would really touch me. What touched me, I suppose, in the 70s because it was in the 70s. Jonathan Livingston Seagull. That touched me a lot. That would be one uh, uh, very possible, um, which was, again, very 70s and very hippified, I suppose, really. Um, oh, what, what's the one? I'm, I'm reading a lovely book. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's about five women in Kabul, and it's a cafe that they have on the, on the wall of the Kabul where it's all, and I can't remember the name of it because I've mislaid it. I, I've mislaid the book and we're trying to find where I've mislaid it because I didn't get to the end. But it's five women from different circumstances and it's an extraordinary book. And it's something, five women in Kabul or something. It's in the cafe in Kabul. And it's an extraordinary book. It's an astounding book, really. Oh. My daughter's very, Georgina reads a lot. She reads books and she, you know, she reads a lot of the um, sort of esoteric sort of help books and the thing books and the, I have got a lot of books, but it's take being dyslexic. I can I can read it. I've read it, and then then I look. I've, I've read the page, and then I think actually I didn't absorb it, so I have to read it a couple of times to absorb it. I, I don't know why this is, but it it works for me better uh-huh. if I read it a couple of times the same page. Really, I think That's... you find that with a lot of dyslexics, possibly. Uh-huh. There's certainly with my brain. Mm. Ah, interesting. I suspect in that case, you probably, it's possible in that case that you probably more deeply understand books that you've read. Yeah, yeah. Because I I tend to speed read things. There again, I will reread things and reread them, reread them just because I enjoy them. Especially if they've touched you too, Mm. if they've touched you. I mean, there's certain certain ones that really touch you. What about music? What sort of music would you like? I like all music. I grew up around music. I mean, my mum, my I remember from quite a young age, we, we had, my dad used to write, he went to Cambridge and he used to write, he was um, uh, uh, the jazz critic for one of the, he had the local sort of rag there and he used to write um, about uh, Billy Holiday and um, this is way back, even before Ella Fitzgerald, so Oscar Peterson. So he used to write about it. So I grew up around music. And then my mum liked Chet Atkins, Jack Jones, I remember. This is way, way back. So um, Tony Bennett, Johnny Mathis, all that stuff. Coming right up to date, well, coming from my sort of 16, I loved Sam Cooke. I was a big Sam Cooke fan, loved his music. And then coming sort of 60s, of course, the Beatles, the Stones, big fan, Stones, Beatles, Kinks, love the Kinks music. And then I suppose one of my old, and Hall and Oates and, um, Hall and, Oates and uh, Fleetwood Mac, my all-time favourite, love them. But I love some of the contemporary films, uh, music, like Adele, I mean, these extraordinary women, Adele, Amy Winehouse. So my, my music taste is varied and I love dancing. I'm a terrible dancer, but I love just... The music it just you know it fills my soul i just right. love it it really right. does what about a, what about a favorite food or drink oh i have a very sweet tooth i love a nice cake i do okay food food love vegetables i adore anything green i have to have green i have to have green almost with every meal whatever it is 
So I have vegetables, a lot of vegetables, love cheese, all sorts of cheese, but I can't eat blue cheese because it makes <laughs> makes my lips go a bit, like yeah. I have Botox, they go a bit weird. So I can't eat blue cheese, but I have um, all other cheeses, sweet tooth, um, yeah, I like curries, very much curries. My daddy used to cook, because my daddy was born in India, Karachi, and he always made a mean vegetable curry. So I love curries. I try and do curries. I like cooking. I'm not great, but Iona, my other daughter, is so good at cooking. She's really good. Love fish. I do eat fish. Salmon. Love salmon. Ah. So, yeah. So. <laughs> bombarded you with <laughs> I can imagine I can just imagine this long table yeah lots of cakes and curries yeah. and so that oh, sounds yeah. great that's sounds- ask Chris ask Chris about jam he and I are jamaholics I know I know this so yes Chris Chris <laughs> I know where he goes to get his jam at, we love jam we discuss jam at great lengths so yeah, I'm a yes, I think I've been sent on missions occasionally to, to try and find it. <laughs> yes, to get he jam for him when he's not in. <laughs> he loved, yeah, he goes and buys his jam and his lovely tea. So yes. Oh yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Very yeah. knowledgeable about jam too. Mm. Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. I will hope Give to him see. Give a test. <laughs> I will do. I'm hopefully yeah. seeing him in a couple of weeks. So yes, so I will. Give, him, give him all my best. I he's will such do. a sweetie. Yeah, he's I, a yeah, chap. yeah. He's I'm very lucky. What about yeah. a piece of visual art, a painting or a sculpture or a statue? Or... We used to go a lot to the British Museum when I was a kid because my dad was, um, his, his, his um, uncle, um, yeah, his uncle was an artist mm. called Alexander Mackenzie and he was good. He was very abstract, I remember. But we used to go to the Tate. Most, if we didn't go to a garden centre or walking around Richmond Park, we would go to a gallery, and the gallery Dad loved was the uh, uh, Tate Gallery. It wasn't the you didn't have the Tate in modern no, in those days. The original, we used yeah. To go, we used to go around there, and then we used to go and have a nice tea. I remember that. Um, I remember seeing the Kiss for the first time, the sculpture, and that really Rodan. struck me. That is yes, I thought that was beautiful, and also Turner, his 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 um, his uh, earlier ones, I think, were wonderful. Um, so I, 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 I do love art. I love going to a gallery. And one of my favourite ones, I think, because it's not too big, but is the Wallace Collection in London. Do you know the Wallace in mm. Manchester Square? Yes, oh, if you've yes. Never been there, I recommend it. It's because it's, you can just sit and just immerse yourself in this beautiful. It's not too big. It's easy to yes you know, to to sit and, and look at and I used to take my daughters there to do drawings when they were little they used to go there because they were able to do that the kids and you could sit there and they'd take them yeah. and they'd do the drawings so yeah. yeah the girl on the swing I like that's uh very that? naughty the girl, the on, girl the swing. on the swing was she well she? I don't know because you feel I suppose it was different it was very freeing wasn't she well she's very freeing it's just the fact that there's a gentleman in the bushes Looking up at the girl in the swing. Oh, when, just, when she's up in the air. Yes, you just. Do you know what? I've never noticed the gentleman. Because I'd take my daughters to go, oh, when they were tiny, to go and see. Oh, because it's one of their favourites because they like swings. Oh, yeah. And he's he's, he's a, a beautiful foyer in the bushes. <laughs> I had a oh, look at it. Nice. And you just suddenly think, it's very subtle. But I, I remember very talking. Subtle. Yeah. And she looks so happy. She's oh, she's so, yeah. Her own world. Yeah. She's oblivious. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. Do you have a, a luxury? I'm thinking in terms of, I, don't, I mean, we've, we've talked about foods and that's often associated mm. with luxury, but do you have something that really comforts you, like a pair of slippers, or is there anything just to make life nice? Easier. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. Well, my daughters make my life, you know, beautiful. They're lovely. They they do. Being outside is really amazing for me, whether it be in the daytime. I can be outside in all weathers, and especially like the last lot, the last hmm. year when we had this amazing weather. So in the daytime, you have this beautiful sun, and you could hear the birds, and you have all the parakeets now in London. 
mm. green parakeets. And where we'd walk, we'd go walking, and and the air smelt so good. So that, but at night time, it's equally as wonderful because you've got you can see the foxes, and I'm in the middle of London, so you see the foxes, but you, the air smells so fresh, and I love it. So nature is that is a luxury to be able to just enjoy nature, and also to meet my friends in the coffee shop. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Outside is my Lake District, walking up a mountain. I am in the happy place. I'm a happy girl. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. Well, funnily with enough. A piece actually, of cake. Sorry. <laughs> with a piece of cake. Like yeah. And a thermos of tea. <laughs> Nothing better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That sounds absolutely wonderful. That's good, I, doesn't it? I, I literally, I had just one question, um, uh, courtesy of Chris, and he just says, my final question is to you is, how do you continue to look so fabulous? coffee tea and chocolate <laughs> but that's very nice he said that that's so sweet no I, I yeah I don't I just yeah I don't know I think I try and stay as positive as I can you know I think positivity is good and I've had a lot of stuff the last few years it's been tough to deal with but you know one has to think onwards mm-hmm. and upwards you've got to try you do because we only get one go as far as we know but yeah yeah. Yeah, that's really sweet of him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, do say hello. I will do. I will yeah. do. Caroline, thank you so very much for joining TV today. I've this has been I've thank you very much indeed. Thank you. You've been a joy. You're such a lovely man. I hope we can meet again. My thanks again to Caroline Munro, and she really does look very, very good and great. Coffee, tea and cakes, that sounds like a regimen for me. Join me next time in a couple of weeks on the Chattering Hour with another guest from the worlds of horror, thriller and suspense. And in the meantime, stay safe and well. The Chattering Hour, hosted by Nicholas Vince, is produced by Chris Rowe Management and Tea Time Productions. Producer Chris Rowe, with production support from Amanda Rome West. Composer Kevin McLeod, copyright Tea Time Productions. <laughs> <laughs>